0: Good morning. Our scripture passage today is John nine, one through thirty-eight. This can be found in the Pew Bible, page eight hundred and ninety-five, or the following Jesus Bible, page one thousand one hundred and fifty-two. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man." So they said to him, "Then how were your eyes opened?" He answered, "The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, "Go to Salome and wash." So I went and washed and received my sight." They said to him, "Where is he?" He said, "I do not know." They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this, our son, is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing, You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. If you have little ones, first grade and under, who are going over for children's worship, they can line up at the door. And Miss Brittany and Miss Mary Francis and Mr. Chris are going to take them across the way for children's worship. Vacation Bible School is going to be fun this year this week, guys. I can assure you of that. So everybody knows that suffering is an, an, an inevitable part of life. Can you see where you're going, Henry? All right, buddy. Everyone knows that suffering is an inevitable part of life. But there's suffering, and then there's suffering. The deep kind of suffering that is so grievous, so heartbreaking, so permanent, it just doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right. And you find yourself asking God, why? How could you allow this to happen? And in today's text, the disciples see an example of this kind of grievous, Suffering, a man born blind and then forced into a life of poverty. And the disciples asked Jesus, Why? Look at verse 1 and 2. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples are grieved by what they see, and they want to know why. So whose fault is it, Jesus? Did this man sin, or was it his parents that something so horrible would happen? They assume that the man's blindness was a consequence of sin. Surely his parents must have done something, or he was going to do something that he would be born in such a plight. And we as 21st century readers might be tempted to accuse the the disciples of being ignorant dolts, right? And we almost want to say, well, of course— He's not blind because of sin. That's ridiculous. Well, it's actually not ridiculous. It may be too narrow of a question, but it's not a a stupid question because suffering always has a cause. It always has a cause. It comes from somewhere, and the problem is we don't always know what the cause is. Bad things happen. It's normal to wonder why they're happening. So let's look at the issue from a 10,000-foot view. What causes suffering to happen? Well, first, suffering can be the consequence, punishment, or discipline for our own sin. The disciples aren't totally out to lunch. When we sin, when we go against God's clear teaching for how to live our life, often suffering is the result, and I, I think about that in three different categories, consequences, punishments, and disciplines. Let's talk about consequences first. Sin has consequences. You get drunk, you have a hangover the next day. It's a consequence. You lose your temper, what's the consequence? The relationship can be damaged. Also, if you regularly covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's job, your neighbor's possessions, don't be surprised If you start feeling dissatisfied with the things that God has given you, that is a suffering that is a consequence of your sin. That's what happens. You play with fire, you get burned. So it's possible that this man's blindness is a consequence of his parents' sin. For example, they may have done something while he was in the womb that caused his blindness. They may have sinned in some way that caused it. Jesus says that's not the case. But it can happen. Suffering can be the consequence, an unintended consequence, of sin. But suffering can also be a punishment for sin. But I think it's important to distinguish between punishment and discipline. I think there's confusion as to what those things are. So punishment is retribution for sin, something that is meted out by a judge for the protection of justice in society. That's what punishment is. But discipline, on the other hand, is pain applied to a warrant and offender toward righteousness. And this is done by a loving authority for the restoration of the offender. We need to be careful not to confuse these two concepts. The judicial system in St. Tammany, in the state of Louisiana, in the United States, it punishes. It punishes to protect society, to protect justice. But parents discipline. Churches discipline. Discipline. Interestingly, God does both of these things. God punishes the lost, He disciplines His children. And so, what that means is the suffering we experience in this life can be from the hand of God. When sin wreaks havoc, for example, in the lives of the lost, it may be a foretaste of their eternal punishment. And when Christians suffer as a result of our sin, it is often the hand of God warning us away from sin, back to him. So just as a parent applies discipline to their children to call them back, so God also disciplines his children. Well, sin, we think we've gotten away with it, and then pain comes that shows us our sin and calls us back to God. But all that said, we need to be very, very, very cautious not to jump to conclusions in attributing our suffering and especially in the suffering of others to this category. You're not God, and you don't know the mind of God with full clarity except what He's revealed in His Word. So we need to be very humble and very hesitant to suggest, especially to somebody else, "Oh, there's you're having a problem. Hmm, you probably have some sin." That you hadn't repented of you probably have something going on and god might be disciplining you or god might be punishing you Sometimes it's evident when a person gets caught red-handed in sin. Well, there you go. That's clear But usually it's not so clear cut and when we attribute every suffering in the world to the hand of god Oh god's brought this into your life because of something you're done or When we see every suffering is that person is somehow culpable of sin. What do we do? We can unnecessarily wound the conscience of people, unnecessarily, or we can sully the name of God. So the disciples aren't stupid for asking this question, who sinned, him or his parents, but I think they're being hasty. This blindness might have been due to this man's sin or to his parents' sin, but there are plenty of other reasons why suffering happens in this world that's not related to our sin. Here are a couple of more examples. Suffering can be the consequent consequence of another person's sin and it can be the result of just general brokenness and decay in the world. Let's talk about the first one. Sometimes people sin and their sin inflicts suffering on other people, right? Oppressors, lawbreakers, liars, adulterers, abusers. All of these people... Their sin, by its very nature, injures another person. It causes someone else to suffer, and often it's the innocent who suffer, right? But there are other times when there's no clear person to point the finger at. Suffering occurs, and there's no explanation except we live in a broken world. So suffering can occur for all these reasons. It can be a consequence, discipline, or punishment for sin. Suffering can happen due to another person's sin, or it can just be because of brokenness in the world. But Jesus introduces a fourth reason that suffering can occur in our text. Look at verses 2 and 3. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what is another reason that suffering can happen? So in extraordinarily rare circumstances, God may ordain suffering for remarkable redemptive purposes. And let me reiterate, I'm talking about remarkably rare circumstances. Why do I say that? Well, because of what Jesus says in the text. He says that this specific man's suffering, his blindness was ordained by God so that the works of God might be displayed in him, but Jesus doesn't stop talking there. Look back at verse three. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents that the works of God might but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. These two verses seem kind of out of place in the text. We're talking about this blind guy here, and now you're talking about, I'm the light of the world, we got to work while it's day and not while it's night. What, What is he saying? Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, and God has sent me, and I'm here now. And this time when I'm on earth is very special, and I don't have much time. Night is coming, and in this remarkably special era, these three years of Jesus's ministry, he says God has ordained some very special circumstances where my glory is going to shine in an absolutely remarkable way. God ordained this man's blindness so that I, Jesus, might heal him and that the works of God would be displayed in him. So God chose this guy and ordained his blindness for a very special purpose while Jesus was on the earth. Can God do that today? Sure. But this text would caution us to be very careful in attributing that to God. So, the odds are extremely likely that our suffering falls into one of those three first categories rather than this one. So why bring it up? Well, even if our suffering has some other root cause which is often impossible to discern. Sometimes we don't know where it's coming from. This man's experience demonstrates that God can use our suffering for his glory. So regardless of why your suffering happens, God can use it for his glory. He used this man's suffering for his glory, and he can do the same in you. That's the reality of life. You may never know why you suffer and I want to encourage you to be hesitant in attributing it to God. Not knowing the cause is better than misattributing it to someone or something, to God or to some other innocent party. And really constantly looking backward and trying to discern why did this happen, how did this come to be, trying to find the root cause of your suffering, that can be wasted effort. Knowing the cause can't change the past. You are where you are. So if you can't easily determine what caused your suffering, I would encourage you to redirect your gaze. Rather than constantly considering where our suffering came from, a more fruitful meditation is what is our suffering going to lead to? And here's what we can learn from the blind man's story. When God's people suffer, the story always ends with glory. So regardless of the source of your suffering or the cause of your suffering, when God's people suffer, the story always ends with glory. Some of you, I know, are suffering deeply right now. Some of you are battling chronic illness. Some of you are waiting for the results of tests. Some of you are struggling with fracture and pain in your home. Some of you feel like you're losing the war with your sin. Some of you, you feel like life has just got you up to your neck. How is your suffering possibly going to end with glory? On the other hand, some of you aren't suffering in any major way right now. And that's fine. You still need to listen, though, because great suffering is going to come. It will come. And if you don't have this truth deeply embedded in your heart and mind, you may get caught unaware and be swept under the tide of your suffering. So all of us need to hear that when God's people suffer, the story always ends with glory. So let's look at this man's story first. The suffering of a Christ follower always ends with restoration. This man's blindness was healed by Jesus. And in the same way, if you follow Jesus, there will come a day when he will relieve every bit of suffering that you have. You will be healed, you will be restored, and like Job, you'll, you'll receive everything you've lost with interest. Look at verses 4 through 7. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Why did Jesus heal people? Right, Jesus came to die for sins, right, be raised from the dead, overcome sin and all this kind of... But why do this? What was the purpose Well, Jesus came to undo sin and all of its effects, including suffering. He came to make right everything that had been broken. And when you go back in the Old Testament and you look for promises of the Messiah who would come and who would make all things right, you hear promises like this one from Isaiah 35. It says, "Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, "Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the whoops, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the eyes of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So when Jesus shows up and heals this man's blindness, what is that declaring to him and everyone else? He's here! The one who has come to make all things right is here. And he didn't just come to save us from sin's guilt. He didn't just come to save us from sin's power. He came to set us free from all of sin's effects. And if you follow Jesus, these promises will come to bear in your life. He may heal and restore you in this life, but we have a solid promise that in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back, you will be raised from the dead and you will receive everything that you've lost. But how can it be that we, like Job, will receive everything we've lost and more? When you look at the pain you've suffered, when you look at the things you've lost, how can it be possible that in this life or the next, you're going to receive all of that and more? We'll look at the end of the blind man's story in verse 35. So he's just been kicked out of church, got kicked out of the synagogue probably excommunicated, never allowed to come back. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that when they cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus is your inheritance. Jesus is the gift that is greater than everything we've lost, to know Jesus, to know his love, to live your life according to his purposes. This is the restoration we look forward to. He is our hope. So if you trust and follow Jesus, eventually all of your suffering will be turned to joy and fruitfulness. You will be healed. You will be restored and you will have Jesus as your own. When God's people suffer, the story always ends with glory. One day, everything you suffer will be restored. But what about between now and then? Are we simply to remember how the story ends and just suffer in the meantime? Are we to endure the pain remembering the prize of Christ and the resurrection? Well, there's another sense in which our suffering always ends with glory. When Christ's followers suffer... We have a remarkable opportunity to show and tell God's glory to others. So, this man in our text suffered publicly. Everybody knew this guy, everybody knew about his suffering because he was a beggar. Why was he a beggar? The tone of the text is that he'd been rejected by his parents. They get called before the, the synagogue. They're like, I don't know. I don't know who healed him. Ask him. There's a kind of a distance between his parents and him, probably because of the implication that he was blind because of their sin. So he is out on his own, begging for himself. He's all alone. And everybody in town knew this guy. Well, that has some relevance for us. The more public our suffering, the greater our opportunity to shine with God's glory. When we suffer, the temptation is to want to hide away, right? To be strong, to be put together. Sometimes we're ashamed of what's happening to us. Just like this man was accused of sin for his blindness, uh, people might make the same assumption about us. Who knows? Maybe your suffering is due to your sin. Regardless, our brokenness and our sin is an opportunity for the glory of God to shine, right? So this man, everybody knew about his suffering. And because everybody knew about his suffering, he had quite the audience for people to to hear and see the power of Christ in him. Now, leveraging your suffering for the glory of God takes courage. It also takes wisdom. But regardless of your suffering source or cause, suffering is an opportunity to make much of Jesus. So in times of suffering and healing we have an opportunity, a great opportunity, to speak of God's past faithfulness and our future hope. So let's see how the healed man did just that in our text. So he gets dragged before the Sanhedrin, or not Sanhedrin, but into the synagogue, and we're going to read this kind of long uh, dialogue. We'll read verses 8 through 17, and then we'll skip down to verse 24. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no,